everyone. Welcome to Habakkuk. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this time as we start a new study, a new book. Lord, we know that you're in it, and we're here to receive as we open up our hearts and minds to hear what you've got to teach us. Father, we give you glory and praise because you are all of that. You are great and awesome, and we honor you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, do you have your Bible? This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. So as we start Habakkuk, I don't know about you, but it is a new adventure. But I have to say that in my studying in the Old Testament since September, I don't think I've ever studied as long in the Old Testament as I have this time. I mean, I know we read sometime before reading the Bible through, but studying in the Old Testament, and it just amazes me how God's principal message is predominantly the same. And so as we enter Habakkuk, you're going to hear you're going to hear me refer probably to Daniel and to Jeremiah and, and these prophets because Habakkuk is a prophet also. And we don't hear much about Habakkuk, and it's only a three-chapter, it's only a three-chapter book. And, and actually, I'm even dividing the first chapter into two lessons because I, I just think, I, I just want to handle one complaint at a time. So um, this is one of those books that we're going to learn and we're going to relate to like you can't believe. But Habakkuk is a minor prophet because his book is smaller. Not that it's least, it's less important, but it's smaller in in quantity. So he's considered a minor prophet. And we don't hear much about him ever. So we're just going to hear what he has to say in these three chapters. And the timing of this book is, and this is why I chose it, because it's pretty much during the time of the warning of the kingdom of Judah going into exile that this is what I mean. God's principal message is you repent, you trust me, you believe in me, you live for me, give your heart to me, and I will bless you. And if you don't, the consequences will be great. So Habakkuk is living at the time between the Assyrian exile of the kingdom of Israel and before the the exile of the kingdom of Judah. So the kingdom of Israel has already gone into exile with us to Assyria. And then we have Habakkuk, and then we, we haven't even had the exile yet of the kingdom of Judah. Just so that you know that, that Habakkuk's writing is sandwiched in between. So this is why I believe that Habakkuk comes out with this first complaint and, you know, if you've had the questions, um, one of the questions I asked you was, was um, do you believe that his complaint is, is okay? Is, is, is it legitimate? And, and from a human standpoint, we would say yes, but from, a, from God's standpoint, no. So let's just talk about that word complaint minute, because that is the heading in this chapter for me, is Habakkuk's complaint. 
And then, you know, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because even though it's so relevant and we all complain, it was an eye-opener to me because, um, yes, uh, we all do it. We all complain, even though Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 that we are not to complain. Do everything, everything, Paul says, without arguing and complaining. It's an attitude. Complaining is a whiny attitude that that the Lord wants to check us on. And and Habakkuk, even though he's really he's he's a I'm sure he's a wonderful man. He was a prophet. He he was a messenger of the Lord. But you know, sometimes they even had lousy attitudes. They even they even lost their trust. They they came back with a complaint. How come? Why? This this type of thing. And this is where I hope that you not only hear the facts of Habakkuk, but that you start relating maybe to your own attitude. Now, the one thing I do give Habakkuk real credit for is that if we do have something, if we do have something that we're questioning, and go to the Lord about it. I mean, so often we run to everybody, but. So the one good thing that I can see about this is that Habakkuk did run to the Lord. He took it to the Lord. He, he asked the question, but I think because it was in Scripture as Habakkuk's complaint, maybe his attitude, maybe, maybe his lack of trust is what we need to look at. So here we go. As we start this, it says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry to you? Violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate evil? So did you hear that? How long? It's almost, you can kind of hear a little whine. How, how long? You do not listen. You do not save. You're not doing what, what I want you to do. I mean, I think sometimes that's when we go to the Lord and we question his ways. That's kind of the attitude we have. How come? How long? And it just kind of shows that we're not trusting. And this chapter, oh, is it going to open your eyes? Because, yes, on a human standpoint, what his complaint is, is legitimate. The kingdom of Judah, even after they've watched the kingdom of Israel go into captivity by the Assyrians, just exactly how God said they are not cleaning up their act. They're not listening to Jeremiah. They're not listening to the warnings. They do not see what, what, what God says he does. That when he says, you do not, you do not listen to me, Habakkuk is saying, you don't listen, God. And God is saying to the people of Judah, you're not listening to me. Do you think listening could be a problem today? No one wants to listen. And the thing is, I remember in James, 
James tells us to, to um, speak less and listen more. And that is such wise counsel. So right away, I think we've got to take a look at that. But, but what, what the problem is, is that Habakkuk is kind of frustrated with the kingdom of Judah because they're not, they're not doing what they're told and they're not complying to the warnings and they're continuing to live in evil. And he is upset and he's complained to the Lord saying, why are you continuing to tolerate this? Why? They are not listening. Are you not listening? There's violence all around. Why do you make me look at this injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong destruction and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. So in other words, there's evil everywhere. These people are totally in the wrong. Verse 4, therefore, the law is paralyzed. The law, the law that they are supposed to obey, the law that is critical in their relationship with the Almighty God, it's like like Habakkuk is saying, how long, how long? You're not listening. Um, Don't you care? Um, Aren't you going to act? Aren't you going to do something? It's everywhere. It's out of control. They're not obeying the law. It's like the law is paralyzed. It's doing nothing. And justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The wicked him in the righteous. So maybe there's a few righteous. Well, they're being hemmed in and they're being controlled by all this wickedness. And that justice, the the living right is perverted. Basically, Habakkuk saying it is out of control. And how come you are not doing something about it? Don't you care? When are you going to act? Now, I'm sure that was a heavy burden on his chest. He just wanted God to somehow make this better, make this right. I think we've asked that question. I think we have come to the Lord in an outcry. Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care? Don't you hear me? Don't you hear my pleas? Don't you care? Aren't you going to do something about it? And then the Lord comes back with this answer. You know, back to the back to the complaint though. I did ask, I thought this was a pretty good question if I do say so myself. Um, why do you know or what do you know is at the root of your complaints? You know, a lot of times we've got to check our complaining and see if the root problem is me. Is there something that is not being done the way I think it should be done? And I think so often this is how we expect God to answer. When we make our plea, we're expecting him to answer our way 
our time. But the Lord does answer. And he answers in verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Look. It's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Let me correct you. You think that I'm doing nothing. You think I'm not listening. You think I don't care. You think that, that I'm not going to act. Well, let me say this. I want you to look at all the nations. You look at the nations and, and then and be utterly amazed. You watch. You'll be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told so look at here in verse 5, I pretty much see the Lord answering Habakkuk by saying, oh, I do see. And I think he's also saying, and I am going to do. I'm going to act. And oh, yes, I am listening. I think that's just, he doesn't even come out and say that. But by his answer to Habakkuk, he's saying, oh, I hear you. I hear you. But you have no idea what I'm going to do. You have no idea my plan. You have no idea my timetable. You have no idea how many people involved that are going to be used in this when are you going to trust that I am the God of all and I've got this. I'm in the center of it all. Remember when we studied Daniel? It, it so looks like evil is prevailing and how many times didn't God come back? So this is the general theme in the Old Testament is that human nature loves to do what human nature loves to do. And that is just pamper themselves. Do what they want when they want to. And God is saying, it doesn't work that way. And I will see to it that sin is dealt with. But I will deal with sin on my own terms. And I will deal with it in my own time. So here, oh yes, I see and I want you to watch. I'm going to act and you're not going to even believe it. Verse 6, I am probably as we speak, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. I mean, he is nailing the kingdom of Babylonia to a T. I mean, remember how we've talked about Nebuchadnezzar and how this was the, the gold head part of the statue, that they were going to be the, the first world power. They were going to rule the world. And they, to get there, they were going to take over nation after nation, even this kingdom of Judah. See, 
God is going to use, remember called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. He, he's going to use this ruthless and impetuous people. They are feared and dreaded. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. They listen to no one. They obey no one. They are, they are all about themselves and they, they walk to their own step, to their own drumbeat. They, they are very self-consumed. Their horses, their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. So they have a lot. I mean, they've got a lot of power. They've got a lot of military. They've, they've got a lot of probably ammunition. Uh, they are scary. And so when they come pounding on nations, and that's what they do because they're ruthless and impetuous. They go after one nation at a time and they conquer that nation until they are the world power. Can you imagine what Habakkuk, when he is hearing this, how his jaw is dropping because God is talking about the Babylonians, he's talking about this, these people that are conquering one nation after another. This ruthless, impetuous Nebuchadnezzar who cares for and about no one but himself and his power and strength. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. They don't care what they have to do or who they have to do it to to conquer. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. I mean, you can about imagine how these nations, when they hear what's going on, they do their best to build their walls, to fortify their military, to do whatever it takes to protect their families. And, and then this big world power comes in and looks at these, this poor little nation compared to their might and, and their swifter than leopard's horses and they're fiercer than wolves at dusk. See, when they see all that and then they hear the laughter. I mean, it's bad enough, but when they hear the laughter of mockery, like, and you think you are going to stop us, they think they are so great. The thing is, they think that they are carrying out their own will and their own strength and their own power. They have no idea. They have no idea that even though they are pawns in Satan's hands, God is still powerful. He is still more powerful. And he is going to use this. He's going to use, this is part of his will. 
the, the, the people that really should be laughing are you and I, when we face what looks to be the impossible, when it looks like evil prevails, when it looks like we don't have a chance, when it looks like we are doomed, whether it be the world's conditions or our nation's conditions or even our private battle, our private war, when we think we can't handle it anymore, we should be the one that smiles and says, but I serve a God who knows exactly what he's doing and he's more powerful to work for my good. Everything that I look at with my human eyes as hopeless, there's always hope with him. So even though they're swooping down like vultures and they're, they're their hordes advance like desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They're swooping them up. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. So the Lord's answer to Habakkuk is quite visual. He tells Habakkuk the truth. He's describing the world power. He's describing what they think they are and who they think they are. And he is telling them that he is going to use them. He's going to use this awful perverse nation, this world power, to take over the kingdom of Judah and bring them into exile. And the pain and the suffering that they're going to have to go through. And Habakkuk cannot believe it. I can almost hear him say, but that's not what I meant. I just meant you to do a little something to get their attention. I just thought that, that you, you would, uh, you know, slap the wrists or something like, isn't this what we think too? Lord, I know you have to get my attention sometime. I know that suffering is what makes me who I am. I know that difficulties and testings and trials are, are, are what really keep my eyes fixed on you and learning how to trust you more. But does it have to be that bad? Do I have to go through that kind of drama? I mean, that's a little much. And then we see Habakkuk's second complaint, and we're going to deal with that more next week. But let me just talk to you and me, for that matter. Why do we have to see our sins? Why do we have to, why does the Lord want 
to expose us for what we really are. Because remember, we always talk about this, that on the day of our salvation, it really starts as the worst day of our life because we are exposed as what we truly are. And there isn't any one of us that want to really see that. We don't really want to see ourselves from the inside out. What we look at, what we look like as sinners. We're so used to looking in the mirror and seeing our camouflage and seeing our coverings up and and how we can we can fool people. And sometimes people think we are. Or sometimes I think we even think that we're going to get away with it. Or there's people that do think they're going to get away with it. But I hope by now in our studies, we know that there isn't one sin that isn't going to be dealt with. So why? Why does he, every now and then in our lives, why does he confront us with our sin? And I think even with Habakkuk here, I think he's not, he's not only showing the sin of this nation, the kingdom of Judah. But he's also showing Habakkuk his sin in his lack of trust, in his questioning. How come? How long? Why? Because now we, we, we're going to hear how Habakkuk says, but that's not... That's way too hard. That's way too much. But the Lord sometimes is very severe. And we have to start believing that. We can't pretend or delude ourselves in thinking that he's not serious about this. So why does he show us our sin? And I think the first part of Habakkuk 1 is basically having us take a good look at ourselves. So, as painful as it is, it is very necessary to see our sin. And I, I chatted a few re- reasons why. Why do we need to see our sin? And I think the number one reason that came to me was it shows me who I am and that humbles me and puts me in the place I need to be. Because it's so tricky. Life is so tricky. Satan is so tricky. And he maneuvers us off into our own self and our our thinking. And before we even know it, we veered off course. And we should take a listen once in a while to our are, are we complaining? Are we voicing to God our outcomes and how wise and are we whining too much? Are, are, we, are we being exposed? Is really the Lord doing this? This is what we have to stand back sometime and just take a look. Is the Lord doing this? Because he try, he's trying to get me to see my sin. And it might not be a huge thing. It, it might be. And sometimes we have covered it up or 
defended ourselves or okayed it or ignored or whatever we tried to do. Sometimes it is something, even though sin is sin in the Lord's eyes, sometimes it is a very big thing in our life. Sometimes it is something that is probably not seen much by others. Maybe, maybe people wouldn't even believe it if they knew that about us. But every one of us, we have something that we know that our attitude is just not right. And we can be thankful that we have a God who loves us so much that no matter what the sin is in our life, he wants to deal with it. And yes, he wants me to see it. He wants me to confess it. He wants me to repent of it. He wants me, he wants it gone. And he wants to keep me humble because when you see yourself the way you truly are, it does put you in your proper place. And it does. It does put our God in his. And every now and then we need to be reminded of that. I think another thing that I jotted down is why every once in a while he's really got to expose and even use something that I didn't even expect to wake me up because he wants me to see how badly I need him. In that same tricky, subtle way, we get independent. I even call it sometimes spiritually cocky. We think that in all of our Bible studies or in our church attendance or even trying to be a good person, a good Christian, sometimes we even get caught up in that spiritual cockiness. Like we look in our mirror and we think, yeah, you're... You're really not doing bad. You're really quite good. When the opposite is true, the only reason there's any good in us is of all, that we can wear the white robe of righteousness, that we walk confidently with our God is because of the blood of Jesus. We need to constantly be clinging to that. We constantly need to be going back to Calvary. I need you, oh, I need you every hour. I need you, oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. That's what he has to do every once in a while. Show us our need for him, our submission to him. And then I think, I really like this one. I really love this one, in fact, He's got to show me my sins so that I'll value my salvation more. We need a wake-up call with that every now and then. I think we get a little, oh, just a little lax in how much that has changed us or how much that has changed our future or how much that has just absolutely changed the outcome of my life, even getting up in the morning with the right attitude. My salvation has transformed me. I hope, Bray, you can say the same thing, that your salvation in Christ 
Jesus and in him alone has changed you and you are watching that transformation. And then I think another reason that he has us take a look at sin. And I think this is, was so clear in this chapter when he was giving Habakkuk his answer. When you would see the sin in others, because, I mean, the, the whole Babylonia empire, I mean, the, their whole way of living, their paganistic rituals and, and their self-centeredness and pagan living. And I think we really saw that in the book of Esther of what a pagan nation, what pagan leaders, what pagan people do and how they act. So sometimes I think in this chapter, it just reminds me when I look at the sin in others, I'm reminded what a heart without Jesus is like, what it truly is like. And to think that, you know what, that could have been me. That could have been me. If someone hadn't told me, if someone hadn't shown me the scriptures, if someone hadn't taken the time to bring me to Jesus, to show me he is the only way and salvation is found in none other than the name of Jesus, if someone hadn't done that, if God's word and his spirit hadn't made that so clear to me, those pagans in that way of living could be me. I am no better than them. But oh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then sometimes I think when you when Habakkuk was taking a look at this, he was he was saying, I just can't imagine. I can't, I can't even, I can't even put into words how wicked this this sin is. I can't even believe how they're treating people. Maybe when we see how awful sin really is in the life of others, obviously as well as ourselves, but then when we actually see it and played out and lived out in the life of others, maybe we'll stop and say, you know what, I, I am going to work, work harder at this, Lord. You and I, we have got to work harder at this. I'm got, I need to come to you and cling to you more because not only could that be me, I, I need to resist it because the temptation, temptation is so right there in front of me and it appeases my flesh and, and I have the choice to either resist this, temp, this temptation, pass it on by, don't indulge or suffer the consequences. And then when you look at sin in others, how quickly it can ruin testimonies. And that jolted me too because I thought, you know, sometimes we're blind in and of ourselves, and that's why we need the Lord to really put a right smack in our face sometimes. But sometimes when we see 
people's sin in, in their lives, it does give us a jolt. And because you know when you see them, you think, oh, I've heard them say this. I've seen them sin in church. I thought they were. And how quickly our testimony, our integrity can be tarnished. It is a wake-up call. And then, like I said, when you see sin in yourself and when you see it in others, aren't you just more grateful for God's grace? So grateful for that amazing, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. And to think it's freely bestowed on all who choose, who choose to believe. And if you are longing to see Jesus' face, like the song reminds us, if you really do want to see Jesus' face someday, will you this moment his grace receive? And that grace is received only when you are willing to see your sin, to hear your complaints and your whiny attitude, thinking that God doesn't hear and he's mean and why do I have to go through this when all the time he is trying to wake us up, show us ourself, show us how badly we need him. I hope that you'll just think about this, this simple little first part of Habakkuk 1. I I thank the Lord every day this week as I was preparing this, these few little verses. Thank you for letting me see the simple gospel, the simple truth about who I am, but who Jesus is. Keep showing me my sin, Lord. Help me to see how, how great I have it because of Jesus. And his grace. What a different attitude that can produce. Heavenly Father, thank you for this simple but astounding and profound lesson. That that sometimes we just need these simple lessons to just wake us up and see the reality. Lord, we thank we think like Habakkuk, sometimes we feel that, that um, you need to do something, do something, but yet we don't expect you to do it that hard. Lord, help us to just be willing to know that you are up to something with your children all the time, and that is growing us and maturing us and getting us to know you better so we live for you more and trust you in everything. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.